The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that honors the dead by sharing their stories with the living. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're looking at a true crime ghost story from the heart of Appalachia, the legend of the Greenbrier Ghost. A warning though, this episode includes descriptions of domestic violence, which may be upsetting to some listeners. The day was January 23rd, 1897. The lifeless body of Elva Zona Heaster Shoe was found inside her home in Greenbrier County, West Virginia. The discovery was made by an 11-year-old neighbor boy who had been sent to the home to collect some eggs at the request of Elva's husband. Although she had been young and seemingly healthy, the doctor who examined Elva's corpse ruled that she had died of a heart attack, or an everlasting faint, as he described it in his report. Elva's untimely death shocked her small community, but most residents accepted the official account and soon enough moved on from it. Understandably, though, one woman found the tragedy much harder to get over. Elva's mother. She didn't believe her daughter had dropped dead from a weak heart, so she launched her own unorthodox investigation to prove it. What followed was the first, and only, murder case to be solved by the testimony of a ghost. At the time of her death, Elva was a newlywed, having tied the knot just three months earlier. She was 23 on her wedding day, and her husband, Edward Trout Shue, was 37. He had moved from a neighboring county to the quiet town of Livesay's Mill in Greenbrier County earlier that summer. A blacksmith by trade, Trout quickly found work at the local forge. Not long after, he ran into Elva, the daughter of a farmer who'd been sent to town on an errand. Trout and Elva hit it off and the pair were married just a few weeks later, despite the objections of her mother, Mary Jane. 
the couple moved into a house near the blacksmith shop, the same house where Elva would be found dead just three months later. On the morning of January 23rd, 1897, Trout took a break from work to visit the nearby home of Martha Jones. He asked if her son, Anderson, could do a favor for him. Apparently, Elva hadn't been feeling well, so he wanted the boy to go collect the eggs from their hens and then see if Elva needed anything from the store. Anderson obliged, but when he entered the shoe's house, he was shocked to find Elva crumpled on the ground at the foot of the stairs. He walked toward her, calling Mrs. Shoe, but there was no response. The young boy panicked and ran straight home, where his mother immediately called for the local doctor and coroner, George W. Knapp. When Dr. Knapp arrived at the shoe residence, he didn't find Elva's body at the foot of the stairs. It turned out Trout had gotten home first and had already begun preparing his wife's body for burial. Victorian mourning custom dictated that a friend of the family should wash and dress the body of the deceased, but Trout had taken on the duty himself and wasted no time doing it either. The grieving husband led Dr. Knapp upstairs to a bedroom where he had laid out Elva's body on the bed. He had dressed her in a high-necked gown with a stiff collar and placed a veil over her face. Knapp proceeded to examine the body while Trout sat on the bed, cradling his wife's head and sobbing loudly. He seemed especially bothered when Knapp attempted to examine Elva's neck and head. So rather than upset the distraught husband, the doctor simply examined the rest of her body, and finding nothing amiss, he went on his way. With little to go on, Dr. Knapp recorded the cause of death as everlasting faint, a poetic yet vague description generally used to refer to a heart attack. Elva's funeral was held later that week at her childhood home on Little Sewell Mountain. Trout was said to behave strangely at the service, pacing next to the casket and making constant readjustments to the collar and veil he had dressed her in. At one point, he even wrapped a scarf around Elva's neck, insisting that she had always loved it and would want to be buried in it. Most of the friends and family in attendance assumed Trout's behavior was just a bizarre show of grief, but Elva's mother, Mary Jane, felt differently. She had already suspected that Trout had something to do with her daughter's death, call it mother's intuition, but watching him at the funeral, she became convinced of his guilt. Mary Jane was deeply religious, so that night, she prayed to God for help. She asked that her daughter be allowed to communicate from the afterlife, to somehow send a message to explain what had really happened to her, or at the very least, to say goodbye. Mary Jane made the same fervent prayer over and over for several restless nights, and according to her, those prayers were eventually answered. Mary Jane Heaster claimed her daughter appeared to her four nights in a row, first as a bright light, and then gradually in her own human form. Elva's spirit supposedly made several revelations about her husband and his role in her death. She said he had a terrible temper and that he had abused her often since their wedding. One night, he attacked her for not serving meat with their dinner. Elva tried to get away, and Trout wound up breaking her neck. Specifically, he snapped it at the first vertebra, right at the base of her skull. According to Mary Jane, Elva's ghost presented that injury rather ghoulishly by turning her head around backward and then walking away into the night 
while staring back at her mother. Disturbed by the encounter, Mary Jane paid a visit to the local prosecutor, John Preston, and spent several hours trying to convince him to reopen Elva's case. Preston remained skeptical, but he was moved enough by Mary Jane's request that he began interviewing friends and neighbors who had attended Elva's funeral. They told him how strangely Trout had acted that day, and how desperate he seemed to keep his wife's neck out of view. There was no mention of Elva's neck in Dr. Knapp's report, so Preston spoke with him to see if anything had been left out. When pressed about the missing detail, Knapp admitted that he had never examined Elva's neck or head due to Trout's interference. Those testimonies convinced Preston of the need for a complete autopsy. Within a few days, the body was exhumed over Trout's vocal objections, and the findings of the autopsy proved damning. A local newspaper, the Pocahontas Times, covered the event, writing, quote, The discovery was made that the neck was broken and the windpipe mashed. On the throat were the marks of fingers indicating that she had been choked. The windpipe had been crushed at a point in front of the neck, which was dislocated between the first and second vertebrae. The injuries matched those reported by Mary Jane, who still claimed to have learned about them secondhand from Elva's ghost. Preston briefly considered the possibility that Mary Jane herself was behind the murder, but he set the notion aside in favor of continuing his investigation of Trout. Digging into his past, the prosecutor learned he had been married twice before and had had several run-ins with the law. Trout's first marriage ended in divorce while he was serving time in prison for stealing a horse. According to that wife's testimony, Trout had a penchant for violence and had routinely beaten her throughout their time together. As for his second marriage, it lasted only eight months and ended with the mysterious death of the wife. Reports of how she died varied, but the most common story was that she'd been struck in the head by a brick while helping her husband repair a chimney. Supposedly, she had placed several bricks in a basket with a rope attached to it, and as the basket was hoisted upward, one of the bricks fell out by mistake and dropped right on her head. Although unconfirmed, it was later reported that Trout's first wife had also suffered a similar accident, in her case, breaking her neck after falling off a haystack. In between his first two marriages, Trout did another stretch in prison, where he bragged about a plan to marry seven different women in his lifetime. He even made some morbid drawings of a husband and wife while behind bars, some of which featured them lying in caskets. All of this new evidence, Trout's pattern of abuse, the mysterious fates of his multiple wives, while compelling, was ultimately circumstantial. Still, it was enough for Preston to have Trout arrested and taken to jail in nearby Lewisburg. He was held there until his indictment by a grand jury, at which point he was taken to court to stand trial. The trial took place that June, and at first it seemed to be going Trout's way, because while Preston presented many incriminating facts, including the hand marks found on Elva's neck, none of it proved that Trout was the man behind the murder. The prosecution's big break came from a decidedly unexpected source. The defense called Mary Jane Heaster to the stand, likely in an attempt to make her look ridiculous, knowing the only evidence she would offer was her supposed conversation with a ghost. Unfortunately for the defense attorney, and for Trout, Mary Jane didn't play the part of a fool. She presented her case matter-of-factly, and stuck to her conviction that the visits from her daughter were not dreams, 
but real waking encounters. Many people in the courtroom, including in the jury, seemed to believe Elva's mother. Trout tried to win them back by taking the stand himself, but it didn't do him much good. After giving a rambling account of his own good character, he concluded by imploring the jury to, quote, look into my face and then say if I'm guilty. If the jury members took him up on that, they apparently didn't reach the conclusion he expected. In the end, they deliberated for just over an hour before declaring him guilty. Edward Trout Shue was sentenced to life in prison for the murder of his third wife. He ended up serving only three years, though, as he died in custody on March 13, 1900. The illness that killed him was likely either measles or pneumonia, as epidemics of both had racked the Moundsville State Prison that spring. When he ultimately succumbed to his illness, no one from Trout's family came to claim his body. As for Mary Jane Heaster, she remained in Greenbrier County until her death in 1916. She never recanted her story or entertained any other theories about her daughter's death. As a result, the legend of Elva, the so-called Greenbrier ghost, lived on. Today, it's a staple of walking tours throughout the region, and there have also been several novelizations and stage adaptations, including a musical. Any retelling of the tale must inevitably grapple with the question of its reality. Was it truly a ghostly visitation that uncovered Trout's crime, or was it just a mother's intuition about her shady son-in-law? If we're honest, there's no real way to say for certain. Maybe Mary Jane did commune with the spirit of her daughter, or maybe it was all in her head. A third option is that she really was acting on mere intuition, and then just invented the story of the ghost as a way to appeal to her superstitious neighbors and to draw attention to the case. Whatever her motivation for telling it, the ghost story seemed to sway the jury, and without it, Elva's murder may have never been uncovered at all. So, true or not, the story of the Greenbrier ghost secured a kind of justice for Elva's family, and potentially spared four more women from making the same mistake of marrying a man named Trout. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHC Show. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, 
fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. 